You're listening to High Temperature Times. We're back again for the second week of our Metals March series. Given the breadth of technology involved in refractories for the ferrous and non-ferrous metals industry, we wanted to give you these quick peeks into some of the excellent work Harbison Walker International is doing. This month, we're looking at electric arc furnaces and their use in the steel industry with Crawford Merton. Hello, Crawford. Hi, Griffin. I've really been looking forward to having you on the podcast, and I'm sure once you give us a little background, everyone will see why. Okay, Griffin, I think you might have to get out a little more, you know. Um, (laughs) But seriously, I appreciate your comments because I love what I do. I've been working in the refractory industries for a quarter century now, and always with a focus on steelmaking applications. I spent the last 11 years with Harbison Walker, where I worked in the technical marketing department the entire time, hiring in as an EAF application specialist and progressing to the point where, for the last five years, I've managed the Ferris technical marketing department. I still focus on EAF applications, but to be truthful, my team has told me on more than one occasion that they're picking up a lot of my slack. So, actually, you know, I've been around the steel industry my entire life. I'm the fifth generation of my family to work in the industry and the third generation in refractories. So I guess I'm a lifer, and, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Before we get into why EAF steelmaking is so interesting, can you explain what it is? What is an arc furnace, and what is it doing making steel? Yeah, sure. Uh, You know, simply put, it's a very powerful machine that over time has developed into a very efficient way to produce a wide range of steel grades. The electric arc furnace, or EAF, is a refractory line vessel that in this case is used to recycle ferrous scrap. The process produces batches of molten steel, which we call heats. We line the EAF with magnesia-based refractories in the forms of bricks and monolithics. These are compatible with the metallurgical process where they use lime to refine the steel. Lime is a basic oxide, so we use basic magnesium oxides to produce the refractories. They're chemically compatible. Now think about our Americlase line of basic monolithics and our EF series of magnesium carbon bricks. You know, they set the standard for high quality and performance in today's EAF operations. You know, Griffin, you know, to give you a better understanding of the EAF process, you want me to walk you through the process of making a heat of steel? Please. Great. Okay. Well, the operating cycle is called the tap-to-tap time and it's made up of several stages. First, you have to charge the furnace, and typically this is done from the top with an overhead crane and a really big bucket full of scrap and lime. Once the furnace is charged, the melting process begins by turning the power on. We call that striking an arc. It's similar to the welding process when you think of the light being generated, but it's also very loud. Today's furnaces are powered by either an alternating current or a direct current. We call them AC and DC furnaces. You know, kind of think about Westinghouse versus Edison. In the process, the electrical current passes from a conductive graphite electrode through the metal charge and then back to an adjacent electrode. This is done through the formation of an electrical arc, which can reach temperatures of more than 5,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So just just a little toasty then. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it is. And it can be really tough on refractories when it's not controlled. Yeah. You know, it's the radiant heat of the arc and the resistance of the charge that generates the necessary energy to melt the scrap. More recently, though, in modern practices, chemical energy is being used in greater amounts to form, uh, in the form of oxyfuel burners and exothermic reactions from oxygen injection. This reduces both the tap-to-tap time and also the electrical energy costs. You know, since Bessemer, the injection of oxygen has been used to remove unwanted impurities from the steel, as well as control the carbon content desired for the grade of steel being produced. These impurities float to the top and become part of the slag. If you don't have the right chemical balance in the slag, it's not going to be as effective in removing the impurities from the steel bath, and it can also be more corrosive to the refractory lining. 
So to reduce the risk of reversion of these unwanted elements back into the steel bath after you've captured them in the slag, the furnace has the ability to tilt back, allowing the slag later to exit out of a door on the side of the furnace. They call this the deslagging process. And after you deslag, and once the desired temperature is achieved, and the final chemistry is confirmed, the heat's ready to be tapped. And this is done through opening what they call the tap hole, which is also constructed from refractories, and tilting the furnace forward now and pouring the steel into a refractory line ladle for its journey downstream to secondary refining and finally solidification in the casting process. Wow, sounds like a whole process. <laughs> it is, it is, it's, uh, but it, it happens quickly, you know. But there's also one more step to this cycle. Uh, once the heat's been removed from the furnace, the lining is visually inspected, and if necessary, repairs are made to the refractory lining before the furnace is charged and the process can begin again. And this is where refractory's performance is critical. Minimizing this turnaround delay has a significant impact on the customer's productivity. And so we employ monolithic gunning and fettling materials for this type of hot repair. And at HWI, we design these products to have excellent installation characteristics as well as a high level of refractoriness to reduce the downtime associated with the installation and to hold up against the corrosive and erosive environment during the operation. Now, the whole process of making the heat takes between 40 minutes to an hour to produce anywhere from 50 to 200 tons of liquid steel, depending upon the size of the furnace and the energy available. You know, so that's, uh, that's really it in a nutshell, as they say. Last month on the podcast, we introduced the Bessemer-Thomas steelmaking process, but that's been fully replaced by auction blast, electric arc, and direct reduction steelmaking. Where do electric arc furnaces stand compared to the other two on that list? Yeah, so the Bessemer process really was the advent of integrated steelmaking, where you're taking iron ore and it's reduced in a blast furnace with coke and lime to produce the liquid iron or the hot metal. And that's transferred over to the basic oxygen furnace, or BOF where the steel is actually produced. So, you know, consider the BOF as like the grandchild of the Bessemer process, right? Um, integrated mills are typically really large works, you know, with quite a lot of upstream processes required for the production of steel. Whereas electric arc furnaces are employed in the recycling of scrap. And it doesn't require as many of those processes upstream, right? As the EAF technology improves, their ability to make higher quality grades of steel requires higher quality iron sources than can typically be found in, in the recycled scrap that they're using. So they're adding pig iron and DRI, which is direct reduce iron, to the charges. So when you think about it, the DRI or the reduction process feeds the EAF in the same way that the blast furnaces feed the BOF. So that's kind of the comparison. You know, the EAF process can be much more efficient and flexible and it's become the predominant way that we make steel today, accounting for almost 70% of the steel produced in the U.S. We like to consider the mini mills as a green industry. They recycle millions of tons of scrap per year, and they're very efficient, and they're emitting minimal CO2 emissions. So it's where I asked about you know, how oxygen blast, electric arc, and direct reduction steel making are um, competing with each other. They're not at all. They're really working together as a steel production process. Yeah, they are. That's right. And you mentioned about how EAF is predominantly for recycled uh, scrap steel. What are the challenges that this new wave of recycling puts on the refractory in the process? Yeah, so, you know, I wouldn't call the EAF process new, right? Uh, when you compare it to the Bessemer, you know, or, you know, that, that process, yeah, it's new. But, 
but they didn't really take off until the 70s, even though the technology has been around since late 1800s and, uh, and started to be commercialized in the 1900s. It was after World War II where, where our industrial production really exploded, right? And we started generating a lot of scrap steel with uh, not a lot of outlets for it. You know, they do use some scrap in the BOF process, open hearth process, but it was minimal at the time. Today, I think it probably makes up uh, maybe 25% of the inputs into a BOF, you know, with the rest being the hot metal coming from the blast furnace. Um, but, you know, after World War II, like I said, you know, we, we, our production really grew. And then, you know, we had the advent of nuclear energy. So you had an abundance of scrap and you had plenty, plenty of electricity available. So the, you know, it was, it was really set up, you know, for the electric arc furnace to take off. You know, nowadays the furnaces, the key to that is power and speed in the AF because there's developed these secondary refining processes like the uh, ladle refining furnaces. So, you know, they can be more accurate and more um, uh, precise in their refining in these other downstream stages. So the, the electric arc furnace itself is just a big melter. So it's all about power, input, and speed. And uh, that poses a lot of challenges for the refractories we employ in the furnace linings. Products that, that, that we supply have to be able to withstand the ever-increasing radiant heat from the electrical arc, as well as the oxidizing atmosphere associated with all the chemical energy being employed. At HWI, we've developed a line of products with higher resistance to these erosive and corrosive you know, environments. Uh, brands like our BB series, Mag Carbon Bricks, that resist oxidation and FEO attack, as well as improve the resistance to the thermal stresses. They're becoming uh, very popular you know, in these modern practices, and uh, we're really proud of them. We also have developed a line of monolithics that easily repair the lining during that turnaround time that we talked about, you know, and it's, it's called a hot practice or a hot repair practice. I, you know, just, just as a, as a point, I think it's, it's interesting that you mentioned the highly oxidizing nature of the, uh, the chemical energy, because in the steel making process, you wouldn't think that oxidizing is even a consideration. Yeah, when you think about it, you know, that's that's something that we, we didn't touch on. You know, in their drive to be more energy efficient in the process, uh, they've one of the big innovations happened probably, it's, now it's probably 20 years ago, but it was uh, what they call slag foaming. So um, they're able to inject into the upper layer of the bath oxygen and carbon together that expands the slag layer. Okay, actually increases the thickness of it. And what that does is that that actually buries that electrical arc, okay, it kind of insulates, it buries it, and it focuses the energy down into the bath, you know, but in that later layer, you're creating, there's, a, you know, a lot of oxygen, a lot of CO being generated, but also a lot of FeO as the iron, you know, is, is also oxidizing, and FeO can be very corrosive. So, you know, we've had to develop products that specifically, you know, address those areas around those burners, because it's, it's, uh, you have very high FeO levels. So I, I think I'm understanding this now. The the oxygen and the chemical energy, it's not really refractory facing oxygen. It's more like the the oxygen blast furnace where the oxygen is being bubbled through the melt. The the oxygen you're talking about, which is where the BB series comes in, is actually at the slag line. It is. That's correct. Yeah, there's quite a bit of FeO being generated. But, you know, the PPMs, the oxygen PPMs within the steel can also uh, have a corrosive effect on the tapping refractories as the steel is passing through it. So, you know, because these, these refractories that we're using are, are typically magnesia carbon based. And so the carbon in the brick, you know, it's great against uh, the corrosive elements, you know, in the furnace. Uh, it's non-wetting, but it's also highly oxidizing. 
So, you know, once you start to lose the, uh, the carbon in your brick, your matrix starts to deteriorate and your, your big grains of magnesia just start to float away. Um, so, yeah, no, there's, you know, oxygen, it's a very oxygen-rich environment now, but it's, it's reduced their energy consumption significantly. Um, this, this process is at least 30% more uh, efficient in energy consumption uh, versus the integrated process. Given the increasingly high benefits of recycling in this modern era, we're probably seeing a lot of technology being developed towards EAF processing and the refractories involved. Can you share any of the highlights of how EAF steelmakers and refractory producers like HWI have leaned into this highly recycled world? You know, that's interesting, and, uh, and I appreciate the question. Like the industries we serve, Harbison Walker is focused on sustainability, and, and one of our tenants is, is our environmental stewardship. You know, in thinking about this question, you know, we've always strived to develop the highest performing products in their application, which as a result reduces the amount of spent refractories generated over time that our customers, you know, in the end have to dispose of, you know, either by landfill or, or some other means. You know, the high performance lowers the total cost of ownership and their impact on the environment. And like, you know, it's, it's interesting, like our customers in the mini mill sector, we see a value in recycling our products after their original useful life cycles. Although refractories aren't nearly as recyclable as steel, there's some value to reclaiming the spent refractories for use in what we would call downgraded products. You know, this will help us close the supply loop and make both HWI and our customers' processes more efficient. Really good question, and there's more to come on this one, Griffin. Very cool. Thank you, Crawford. It was excellent learning more about the EAF process and how far steel has evolved from the days of when my grandparents worked in the mill. If you'd like to learn more about electric arc furnaces or the products mentioned today, reach out to us at technical-marketing at thinkhwi.com. We'll be back next week for another installment in our Metals March series. Thanks for listening.